It's special to hear and see all you guys just enjoying a relationship with one another. Um, I can already tell uh, just how much uh, love there is in this church. Uh, so much warmth, so much kindness and friendliness has been extended to us even just in this last um, half hour. Like so many people come up and said hello and it's just a really good sign about your church. It's just a, a wonderful place. Um, we can tell already. I mean, so far, who knows? Maybe you might um, drop the ball in some massive way. And No, I'm joking. Um, uh, before we get into the word, I thought I would just start um, with a quick word of testimony. Um, and it's not personal testimony about me, it's just a quick word about, about Riley. Um, this guy I've known for 16 years, um, as I said, introduced to me as the guy who um, had memorised Philippians. And uh, our sermon this morning, it's about uh, trust, trust in the Lord. But it's also true that Riley is placing a certain degree of trust in me this morning as his friend. The stories I could tell. <laughs> um, I mean, I could hurt Riley. I'm, I'm joking. Um, the thing about Riley actually is that um, even over 16 years, there, there really are very few stories that I could tell that are the kinds of stories that are embarrassing or anything like that. Um, if anything, it's been his godliness over those 16 years that sometimes has been a bit embarrassing. Uh, in its extent. Um, I remember one time we were uh, all hanging out, our mates were hanging out at our friend Gray's house on uh, uh, Good Friday one year. And uh, Riley was like, do you, want, do you guys want to do communion? It's Good Friday. We should do communion. Do we have wine? No. Nope. Do we have bread? No. Nope. Uh, we got Coke. We got pizza. And even at 18 or 19, something like that, young Riley was leading just our friendship group uh, in rhythms of godliness and rhythms of kind of Christian community. And uh, that's been the guy he's been. Uh, I mean, sure, over 16 years, there's a goofy story here or there or whatever it is. But um, I just wanted to say that because uh, I'm really very thankful to have him as a friend. And if I were you and your church, I'd be very thankful to have him as a pastor. Um, even someone like Riley can still uh, struggle, can still um, uh, find sins that he didn't know were there, can still have issues in life. And so my encouragement would you to be, be filled with thankfulness for him and um, be filling uh, your mouths with prayers for Riley to uphold him in this ministry of leading your church. Um, I might pray that God would help us now. I actually got a bit emotional talking about Riley to send. I love him so much. Um, uh, I'm going to pray uh, to thank God for Riley, but also I'm going to pray uh, just that uh, God would help us to understand his word by his spirit this morning. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for all of your blessings uh, and uh, just having known Riley for so long and being so uh, proud of him in this position. Uh, but Father, we know that actually that pride should not be in him, but it should be in you. You who have equipped him, you who have sent him to this task of leading Sovereign Grace Parramatta and being a blessing of Sovereign Grace across the world. We thank you, Father, for the man that he is, uh, for his godliness, for his love of Jesus, for his trust in you that leads him to, to do um, sometimes uh, the really wonderful, fun things like going to New York, but sometimes also the hard things. Uh, Father, he follows you faithfully. Yeah, that's what Riley does. And so we thank you for him. And we pray that you would uphold him uh, in this leadership position. We pray that sins would be far from him in his life. And we pray that uh, you would continue to foster in him uh, a, a heart for righteousness, a heart for holiness, uh, that he would uh, be able to stand with integrity uh, and genuine love for this community for many, many years. Amen. I also didn't pray about the sermon. Let's pray some more. Our Father. <laughs> We pray as well uh, for this time we're going to spend now. We thank you for your word. 
it is a true blessing for us and from it we can uh, glean uh, all of the truth that we need in order to live the kind of life that you would have us live as your children. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless us now as we open it. Reveal your truth to us. Help us to see, Father, this morning just how trustworthy you are and help us to uh, just uh, come to a place as we're reminded of that trustworthiness where we want to entrust ourselves fully to you again. And uh, we pray that that would be something we do again and again and again for all of life. Amen. So I'm going to read for us from Psalm 25. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, I'd encourage you to get it open. I don't know if it's going to jump up on the screen. looks like it is. Let's read together. Psalm 25 from verse 1. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge, refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Our psalm begins this morning with, uh, Oh my God, in you I put my trust. Oh my God, in you I put my trust. Or you might say, Lord my God, I entrust myself to you. For some of us, trust comes easily in life. I think I'm someone like that. I'm quite quick to trust people. I'm quite quick to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I know that others of us are not so quick to trust, and often for very good reason. Some of us have put our trust in people only to have been let down, and sometimes let down in really big and significant ways. Some of us have had our trust broken in our life. And I'm sure that it's the case that the more often and the more severely that a person has had their trust broken, 
has been betrayed or let down or hurt in some serious way by someone that they trusted, I'm sure that's the case that that, that person is slower the next time to trust and then the next time slower again and, and so on. David had certainly had his trust broken in his life. He'd had loved ones and trusted ones, family members, trusted advisors, betray him and hurt him in terrible ways. But as we come to this psalm, Psalm 25, this is a psalm that David wrote towards the end of his life. And even in the midst of all of that betrayal, and even in the midst of all of that broken trust, here he is at the end of his life, still praying a prayer like Psalm 25. And what is it? It's a prayer of trust. Still determining to entrust himself to God. He's an older man. He's been a king for a long time. In some ways, David, at this stage, is at the peak of his power and his influence and his wealth. But this prayer that he prays in Psalm 25, it's not a triumphant prayer. It's not a pride-filled prayer. It's not a look at my works, O God, that I have done in your name. Look at the kingdom I've established in your name. Rather, King David writes this prayer from a position of his felt great need. David feels deeply in need of something when he writes this psalm. The David who writes this psalm, he feels vulnerable. There are still physical threats to his kingship, and David is worried. And as he prays to God this prayer, he's also worried because he knows that in his life he has committed great sin. If you've read 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll know the heights that David has risen to and you'll also know the depths that David had fallen to in his life. And it's from this position of vulnerability and worry and powerlessness and fear that he prays this prayer. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, I present it before you. Here's my soul and O my God. In you, I trust. Mighty King David, he entrusts himself to God. Now, it takes a lot for us uh, to entrust ourselves to someone, I think, in life. I mean, on one level, we trust people all the time in life, like our Uber driver. Um, we're kind of trusting that he's going to be able to get us where we want to go safely. And um, maybe that's rightly placed trust. Maybe it's misplaced trust. I guess it depends on the guy. Um, your Uber driver, a train driver... Your boss in your job, maybe that's someone who you might have put some degree of trust in. When I go to a restaurant, I have some trust in the chef that he's not going to poison me. So there are those kind of little trusts that we put into people in our life all the time. But then there are um, other kinds of trust that we put in people. A deeper trust. Trust that you put in a person that feels like you're risking something. Trust that makes you feel vulnerable. And trust like that only really comes um, when you have a deep need for something that you can't meet yourself, that you can't match yourself, that you can't do on your own. And so you rely on someone else. You have to entrust yourself to them to help you in this great and deep need. Now, um, a little bit about our story. Uh, Renee and I, we've got three little girls, and two of them are twins. We've got two four-year-old twin girls. And uh, when they were born, they were actually born uh, three months before they were supposed to be. 
at 27 weeks. And so my wife Renee and I, uh, three months before they were due to come, we were like, we're going to go on a holiday. We're going to have a baby moon. And three days into what was supposed to be a 14-day-long blissful holiday in Port Stephens, three days in, Renee's blood pressure spikes to over 180 over something. Um, and she's rushed to hospital. And um, uh, she has, it turns out, a condition called preeclampsia. And at 27 weeks, after fighting um, that blood pressure in hospital for six days, she's wheeled into theatre. And I'm there with her. She about to receive an emergency C-section. Now babies, I don't know if you know, I assume you know, they're not supposed to be born at 27 weeks. And so there in that theatre on that day, we were looking down the barrel at all kinds of uncertainty. We had all kinds of worries in us. Would they survive? Would Renee survive? Would they be left with some kind of um, serious health issue? That would be a part of the family that we were building together. And sitting there in that theatre, it's just true to say that there was, um, uh, firstly, there was absolutely nothing that I could do to fix the problem. There was absolutely nothing that I could do to help in any kind of a significant way to get my wife and my coming kids through the storm that we'd found ourselves in. And I remember feeling so vulnerable and powerlessness, and, and so powerless and, and so full of fear. If you'd asked me under any other circumstance, hey, Dan, tomorrow, what do you reckon about this plan? You and Renee are going to go walk into a room, and then someone you've never met before is going to come in, and they're going to get a sharp object, and they're going to start opening your wife up in front of you, and you're going to let them do it. She'll be awake through the whole thing, but it's going to be fine. What do you reckon? How do you think about that plan? I mean, under normal circumstances, I'm not a person who is disposed to letting people take sharp objects to my wife. <laughs> Good husbands don't let people do that. <laughs> Except in this case, we did. Not only did they do it, but we let them. Actually, we were glad that they were in a position to help us out. We were in such great need. We had no other choice. We entrusted ourselves to the only people who could help us in that moment. And that's the nature of trust like this. We generally only entrust ourselves to someone fully when we're in great need or feel great need or when we have no other option. I mean, the same can be said uh, in some ways for our relationships. Like it's a different kind of trust in some ways to the surgery, but I don't think it's any less deeper trust. I'd probably say that I've entrusted myself to Renee, my wife. I've entrusted my heart to her. I've entrusted my life to her. I've put myself in a position of vulnerability before her. And it's just the case. If she wanted to, she could really hurt me very badly. I've, I've put myself in a position of vulnerability before her and I've entrusted myself to her out of a position of a deep and felt need of a desire for her and all of the good that she might bring to my life or the promise of all of that good out of my felt need and feeling like really there was no other choice that made sense. I entrusted myself to her. And it is out of his sense of his need, his great need, that David prays this prayer. And throughout the psalm, he describes that need or the feeling of need that he has. Uh, why don't you read with me from verses 16 to 19. This is David's need. 
he says to God, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am, I mean, this is a mighty king talking, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. I mean, this is mighty King David, the commander of armies, rich, powerful, attractive, impressive, but here, lonely, afflicted, troubled, distressed, ashamed, and fiercely hated by many enemies. And so he prays, out of his great need, with no other choice, he prays, to you, God, I lift up my soul, and in you I put my trust. I want to ask you this morning, is this a prayer that you have prayed? A prayer like this in your life? Have you prayed in moments of great desperation or out of a moment of great fear or need? Oh my God, in the knowledge of my powerlessness, in you I put my trust. A prayer that we might pray like, Oh my God, I have nothing to offer you except this life of rejection of you. I deserve nothing but your contempt and your judgment and your punishment and I am powerless before you. I am helpless before you and I don't have any deserving of, of your love. But Father, you've said that you love me and you've said I can trust you and so, oh my God, in you I do. I do trust you. We all had to pray a prayer like that when we first became Christians, if we are Christians. We'll talk a bit more about that uh, in a little while when we talk about the forgiveness of sins. But it's just the case that each of us in our life, if we do follow Jesus, pray a prayer out of our great vulnerability and out of our great need and out of our great sin. Each of us who follow Jesus, God on our hands, literally or metaphorically, and knees, and from that position of vulnerability and helplessness said, in you, God, I do. I believe in you. I trust you. Forgive me. I want to follow you now. I should say, though, that's not really the sense of the prayer that David's praying here. It's not the first trust prayer. It's not the conversion prayer in this psalm. I mean, David, at this point, he's been walking with the Lord all his life. He has walked uh, with God, known God as his father for many, many years. And so this prayer of trust, it's in the context of an already existing relationship with God. So those of us who've been walking with God maybe for a couple of weeks or maybe for 15, 20 years, this prayer is incredibly relevant for us. Because what it means that David would pray this prayer is that I, as a believer, I can trust him more. Or I, as a believer, I can trust him less. And it also means that I should seek to increase in my trust daily in the Lord as David seeks to increase his trust in God in this psalm. And if I'm not trusting him, it begs the question, what am I trusting in instead? Because we are so like David in this psalm. Our lives are so full of great need just like his was. We get lonely. We feel 
afflicted, we're bullied, we're taken advantage of, we can be abused. We know, like David does, what it means to have a troubled heart. Like when he says that, we're not saying, what do you mean, David? What's a troubled heart? We know that. We know what a troubled heart feels like. We know what anguish feels like. We know what distress feels like when life's not going how we want, when our loved ones might be going down paths that scare us, when we lose people we love. We know what these kinds of feelings are like. And we know what it's like to be hated or at least disliked by a person. And like David, we know what it's like to feel shame and guilt that we've done the wrong thing. And like David, in all of that pain and struggle and toil, if we're real with ourselves, we know that we're vulnerable too. We know that when painful and hard things come our way, we bleed, we hurt, we feel the kinds of feelings he expresses here. And so the question is, where can we go? Where do we go in times like this, in times of distress and shame? Is there anyone who could guard us and carry us through this life? Is there anyone who we could entrust our lives to and know that in their hands we would ultimately be safe? And the answer of this psalm is that God is the only one. God's hands are the only hands that can ultimately keep us and hold us safe. And so I just want to spend the rest of our time this morning answering these two questions. How do we know that God's trustworthy? How do we know? What's the evidence presented in the psalm? And then secondly, how do we go about entrusting ourselves to him? Now, it's true, as I've said, that we uh, only really make ourselves ultimately vulnerable and entrust ourselves to others from a position of great need. It's also true that in those times, we only generally go to the people who have the skills, who have the ability, who have the resources to help us in that great need. The surgeon who performed Renee's C-section, I'd never met her before. So in some ways, it's kind of funny that I would entrust so much to this person that I'd never met before with so um, weighty and risky a thing. But I knew this doctor, she'd, I knew she'd actually spent years studying in school. She studied at uni. She'd done all these exams. She trained under experts. She'd done exactly this kind of operation a million times before. And in all of that had proven, not to us personally, but to kind of the world and the medical community that she was someone who we could trust Renee with in this moment. And the question is, given that when we are in our greatest moments of need, we only entrust ourselves to people who we feel are worthy of that trust can actually help us. The question is, on what basis does David put his trust in God? Thankfully for us, throughout the psalm, he lists it. He lists a bunch of the reasons that he trusts God so much. He starts the psalm, Oh my God, in you I trust. And we might ask, why? Verse 5, he tells us, For you are the God of my salvation. Or verse 6, Because you are, because of your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Or verse 7, For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And he goes on, Oh my God, in you I trust. Why? In verse 8, he tells us again, Because good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads them. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All of the paths of the Lord, all of the paths of the Lord are 
steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. David trusts God. Why? Because of who he is, because of his character, and because of what he has done in David's life and in the life of God's people. God has shown himself to be entirely worthy of David's trust. And David knows that his life will be safe in God's hands. By extension then, as well, he knows that his life will not be safe in his own hands. His hands are not good for him, you might say. Nor are our lives safe in our hands. How often do we try to solve our own problems in life? How often do we try with all of our might to gain some control over the situation, some safety net, some insurance, some system that we hope might keep us safe and well and happy. We think we can entrust our lives to ourselves. But as I look at this list that we just read, the list of the traits about God that are the reason for David's trust in him, as I look at this list and I think about myself, I start to wonder just how trustworthy I really am. From this list, God is loving. Is that me? Am I loving? Sometimes. Often not. Good. Sometimes. Often not. Upright. Sometimes. Often not. And it certainly cannot be said of me that all the ways of Dan, all the paths of Dan are loving and faithful. And I think all of us, if we really pause to consider whether or not our lives are safe in our own hands, we know, just a quick reflection on even your last 24 hours or week, we know that our lives are not safe in our own hands. We all know that we very often let ourselves down. We all know that we very often let other people down. I can think that my life is safe in my hands all I want, but the reality is that I have far less control than I imagine. And even in the things that I do have some control over, I often make mistakes. I often do things that end up hurting me rather than helping me. I can't even trust myself to properly police the food that goes into my mouth for my own good. I can't even trust myself to put the Mars bar back into the cupboard. And if I can't even decide for my own good in something as simple as the things that go into my mouth. And so in all of this, I show myself to be lacking in trustworthiness, not fit to meet my own or anyone else's desperate need. But God in his character, he never ceases to be good. He never ceases to be upright and loving and faithful. And he always acts with the best interests of his children at heart. Every time. God never takes a day off. He never hides himself away so that he can do something naughty that no one else can see. He's never unkind. He never does the wrong thing. He never acts out of unjust anger. And he always keeps his promises every single time. And if you wanted any further evidence of the goodness, the uprightness, the love and the faithfulness and the saving works of God, you just have to look at Jesus and his life. I mean, I can't think of anyone in my life, any physical person who I would describe with a list like this, good, upright, faithful, loving, every time, 
trustworthy. But in Jesus, there was such a man. Always good, as in, as we read through the Gospels, always kind and generous, always upright. I always did, every single time. Jesus was presented with the decision, do I choose God's way or another way? Every time he chose the upright path, he chose God's way. He was always loving. I, every time he acted out of care and concern for the interests of others, even when it cost him, even when it cost him everything, he loved still. He was always faithful, i.e. He always spoke the truth, even when it might bring danger upon him. We see this Jesus on display again and again. We see him there as he speaks truth, as he heals the sick, as he casts out demons, as he stands for the lonely and for the oppressed, as he spends time with the, the lowest of the low, the most lonely and downtrodden. We see the heart of this most trustworthy man who was the most trustworthy man slash person ever to walk the earth. This man, Jesus, who perfectly reflected the trustworthiness of God, his Father. And as David entrusts himself to God in this psalm, so too can we entrust ourselves to that same God through Jesus. And we can trust Jesus with our lives, with our whole lives, not just a piece of it, but with every nook and cranny, the light bits and the dark bits of our lives, the easy bits and the hard bits the happy bits and the sad bits. We can trust him with it all. Now, it's important for me to say, I don't really know you guys. I don't know your journeys. I don't know your paths. I don't know what's brought you here this morning. There may be not a single new face in this room right now. But there might be someone here this morning who's never actually put their trust in Jesus. All of their trust. Holy. And if that is you, as you listen to this sermon, as you listen to God's words, if you know, just as you reflect on your own life, oh, there are parts of my life that I hold back. There are parts of my life that I haven't entrusted to God and I'm not sure I have trusted him fully yet. And if that is you, can I just say, to entrust yourself to Jesus is the best thing that you could ever do. And there's no risk and no harm, even if you've been walking with God for many, many years, there's no risk and no harm to coming before him again and saying, God, in you, I put my trust. And that might be the very first time you ever pray a prayer like that, or it might be the thousandth time where you are presenting to him just another part that you want to lift up to him as David lifts up his soul to God, another part that you might want to lift up to him and say, oh my God, in you, I put my trust in just even just this bit of my life. When Renee lay there on that operating table, we were helpless. We brought nothing to the equation. We were in desperate need of help and entirely at the mercy of those who could help. And it's just the case for us that as we stand before God, we too are helpless. We bring nothing to the equation. We have sinned against the God who made us. David had an intimate knowledge of his sin. We can see it here in these words. And we can see in these words that he was plagued, plagued by a knowledge of those sins and by the guilt and the shame that he had for them. And even after walking with God his whole life, he's still worried, what if God doesn't actually, even after all of this, what if all he remembers 
are the dark moments? What if all he remembers are the sinful parts, the sinful things I have done? What if that's really all he sees when he looks at me? I wonder, do you know worry like this as a follower of Jesus? I know I do. There's been so many times in my life where I, I know I've let worry and guilt and shame creep back into how I see myself before God and work its way back in to my understanding of myself, my relationship with Him. Times where I've asked myself, does He really still accept me? Does He really still love me? Maybe my faith isn't real. Maybe God's run out of grace for me. Or maybe I've never received His grace in the first place. And David's prayer is our prayer in this. Out of his desperate need, out of his desperate feeling of his own shame and guilt, what does he pray out of his desperation? And this is the prayer that we can pray any day that we like to God as well. He prays, remember your mercy, God. This is from verse 6. O Lord, and your steadfast love, remember that too, for they have been from of old. And then in verse 7. He prays to God out of his desperate shame and worry. He says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, but rather according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And in verse 11, he prays another prayer like this. He says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And then in verse 18, he prays, Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David knows God's character. David knows God's deeds. And David knows that even after all of the sin that he had done, God loved him still. And it was still God's desire, even after all of that sin, to forgive him. His joyful desire. David never closed his arms. He never closed the door to David, but rather he forgave and forgave and forgave and forgave. And he joyfully offers that same kind of a forgiveness to anyone who asks. I mean, just think about the story of the prodigal son. Do you know that story from the Gospels? The son, he takes his inheritance from his father. He squanders that whole inheritance in a foreign land. He basically says, Dad, Give me all of the blessing. Give me all of the stuff, but I don't want any of you. Give me all of the blessing, but I don't want to be your son anymore. I'm going to leave you after taking what's mine. And what happens in the end of that story when the son decides to come home full of shame and guilt and regret, just like David's heart in this psalm? What does the father do? He does not stand proudly back with arms crossed, shaking his head. He does not say, I told you so. He does not mock his son. He doesn't punish his son. What does he do? He sees him coming from far off and he runs out to him and he embraces him and he kisses him and he says, This son of mine has returned. Let's party. Let's celebrate. He came home. 
That heart of the Father and that story is the heart of God for us. And every time we come to Him, we should never think that God is standing there going, oh, fine, come back. Rather, He's just watching out for us, waiting for us, looking for us, just to, to declare that intention in heart. God, forgive me, please, again. And then what does he do? His heart is that heart to run out to us, to embrace us again. We can entrust ourselves to God. We can entrust our sin to God. We can trust him with our darkest parts, our whole lives. And yes, we can trust him with our sin. Now, many of us, um, most of us, I suspect, have entrusted our lives to God, as in we're Christians. We prayed that first prayer of trust. But the question remains, how do I continue to entrust myself to God in an ongoing way? We've asked the question, are God and Jesus worthy of our trust? And I think the answer of this psalm has been a resounding yes. They are worthy of our trust. But even in the reality of how trustworthy our God is, how good, how upright, how loving and faithful, we can forget, can't we? From day to day, we can forget how good God is how faithful and how loving he is. And in those moments where we forget, we can seek to trust other people. We can put our trust in other things as possible solutions to the problems of our life, the struggles and the toils of our daily existence. Because, I mean, that's entirely understandable in one sense, because the world is yelling other solutions at us all of the time. Like a false medicine. You've got that issue, you've got that ailment, here's some medicine that can cure you. Like uh, if I was distressed and anxious, what kinds of things does the world say to me? The world says, hmm, maybe alcohol might be able to help you in your anxiety and worry. Might help you relax. Just come, have another drink, and another, and another, and eventually maybe you'll be numb to the worst that the world can throw of you and you won't worry anymore. Or when I'm lonely, what does the world say? What, what kinds of solutions does the world throw at a lonely person? Have you tried social media? Look at all the connections you can have. Have you tried romance? Because maybe your life's greatest need is actually just to find the one and then you'll be fulfilled. And maybe you don't even need to worry about all that. You could also just turn on your computer and go and watch some porn. Maybe that will numb the loneliness and the desire in you. When I feel ashamed, what kinds of solutions does the world throw at me? Mm. Do you know what? You actually shouldn't feel ashamed. Live for yourself. Live for your success. Live for your desires. They are what make you who you are. You do you. Look out for number one because ultimately there is no such thing as sin. So live it up. That's what the world says. And I could go on. I could name every sin and desire and problem and struggle that fill our lives and we could all immediately just yell out, a hundred possible solutions that the world throws at each and every one of those problems or sins or desires or whatever it is. But God, sorry, but David, he knows the truth in this. David has gone to some of these false medicines before. 
And he's learned that the only one who can ultimately solve the problems he knows he has is God. That's why he ends the psalm by praying this, verse 20. He prays, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take my refuge in you. By extension, no one else. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. How beautiful is that song we sung before? I've never heard it before, about waiting for Jesus. David knows that his life is only ultimately safe in God's hands, and so he puts all of his hope and all of his trust in God. What will preserve him? The answer is the integrity and uprightness of the God who made him. God who is his refuge. Now in the day-to-day as we're surrounded by all these voices of the world, the question is how can we fight our temptation to listen to them and entrust ourselves to God instead? And the answer presented by David in this psalm, how to entrust yourself to God daily, is to know God's ways. To know God's paths for life. To be led by God in his truth. Read me verses 4 and 5. You can see it right here. This is how David hopes to entrust himself fully to the Lord. What does he pray to God? He prays, make me to know your ways. No one else's. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. If we trust God, like if we really trust him, then when the struggles and the toils and the worries of life oppress us, where will we go? We will go to God and we will go to the kinds of solutions that he has presented for us to go to. God knows our pains and our sufferings. He knows our struggles. And he has created for us the perfect medicine every time to help us. He's given us his own solutions to help us when we're in our times of greatest need. And God's solutions are so much better, so much better than alcohol or romance or porn or self-help nonsense. Are you lonely? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and you feel lonely. As you think about that loneliness that you have inside, what do you think are the kinds of things that are going to solve that problem for you? What are the kinds of medicines that present themselves to your mind and to your heart that you think you could run to and maybe your loneliness might be assuaged? What does God say to us in our loneliness? He says, no matter how lonely you get, no matter how alone you feel or are, I will always be your father. And not only will I always be your father, by my spirit, I have injected myself into your very body. You literally are never alone. I'm literally always with you. And so you need not feel Lonely, but he doesn't just stop at this kind of theological reality, this theological truth for us to hold on to, as significant and powerful as those truths are. He also says, You're lonely. Here's a whole community of people, a family for you, a church for you, 
and I have commanded each and every one of them to devote themselves genuinely and sincerely to you and to your love, to devote themselves to loving you with all of their hearts. So if you're lonely, go to church, go to Bible study, invest in some of these brothers and sisters that I've put in your life and watch as they invest back into your life. God's solutions to our problems are so much better than the world's solutions. Know His paths, know His ways, know His solutions. And as you trust in Him, go to the solutions that He has presented for you. Are you distressed? What does God say to you in your distress? In your sadness, in your grief, when you mourn, in the darkest times of life, what does He say? Well, one thing He says is, I have walked where you are walking. I have known grief as you grieve and pain as you hurt. But I can give you something that no false medicine of the world can give you. They might promise it, but they can't. They can't give you what I can and what I can give you is hope. Hope that those lost in Christ will come again, will rise again from the dead. Hope in the sure knowledge that one day there will be a day where we experience no more pain ever again. Hope in God's spirit that can pour comfort and love and light and even joy into our hearts, into our lives, even in the darkest of times. And hope in Jesus' return, which will end every sad and painful thing forever and ever. When Jesus will return and wipe every tear from our eye and do away with all evil, all sadness and all distress forever. That kind of hope cannot be found in the world. It can only be found in God. God's solutions are so much better than the world's. Know his paths. Know his ways. And as you trust him, go to the solutions that he has presented. Do you feel ashamed for your sin? Do you feel weighed down by the guilt of it? There's nothing better that you could do than to entrust that sin and that shame and that guilt to God. What's his solution? Nothing much, just forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, a wiping away of that sin, a lifting us out of a spiral of guilt and lifting us into a relationship with him. What a solution. You want to be happy? God's joy is the best joy that can be found anywhere. You want purpose? The world will say, pursue success, pursue career, pursue money, and then you'll find happiness. But we know, and Scripture tells us again and again and again, every worldly thing that we might pursue is going to rust and rot away. And ultimately, every one of us will be sitting there on our deathbeds, thinking about our lives, thinking about all the stuff we accrued, thinking about all of the time that we invested into things that now here sitting in this moment at the end of my life I know are going to mean nothing to me in the very next moment but what's God's solution well in Jesus we have the greatest mission in Jesus we have the greatest adventure the greatest purpose to obey our God in holiness and to share the truth and love of Jesus everywhere we go And sometimes that is a path that's full of joy and full of happy times. 
And sometimes sharing the truth and love of Jesus with the world, it costs us and it hurts, but every good adventure has ups and downs. And in some ways, the best adventures are the ones where we've come through the darkest of times. And as Christians, as we go through those times, as we emerge from out of them, we find God there again. Our good God, our ultimate purpose being to worship him with all of our minds, hearts and souls. And so, just to finish, I'll remind us again. We can entrust ourselves to God. David, out of his great and desperate need, he entrusted himself to his father. We can pray this same prayer. We should pray this same prayer. And every day, as the world presents us with all kinds of false medicines, let me finish by saying, family of God, sovereign grace, know his paths, know his ways. Put your trust in him again daily. And as you do, go to the solutions to your problems that he has presented because they're always better every time. And he is entirely trustworthy. There's nowhere better that you could put your trust. Would you pray with me? Our Father, you are good. You are upright. You are loving. You are faithful. And you save you saved us in Jesus. He too was good and upright and loving and faithful, the most trustworthy man ever to walk the earth. And we can, like David, put our trust in you through him. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for all that he did for us in going to the cross and dying for us, then arising again. Father, uh, if there are those here this morning who have never put their trust in Jesus, we pray that you would reveal just how trustworthy you are and help them come to a place where they are finally ready to just fall into Jesus' arms, fall into the loving embrace of their Father who's just waiting expectantly, who wants to run out to them again and accepts them home again. And Father, for us who struggle to not listen to the voices of the world and its solutions. We just pray, Lord, that your solutions, your better solutions would uh, be very loud in our awareness and our perception, that we would hear them strongly and loudly, that we would go to them, that we would be just in your word every day, hearing about your ways, hearing about your powers, and that when we struggle and in the dark times, we go to you and your better solutions. Amen.